Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of I'm Probably Wrong About Everything. In today's episode, we have Lauren Peterson, Masters of Education and Leadership student at the University of Victoria, who is looking at uh, programs for Indigenous uh, youth students entering post-secondary schools and some of the barriers that they face. She shares uh, a little bit about her, her educational background as well as we look at, at, at you know, what white privilege is versus what it isn't, uh, as well as the history behind the Indigenous perspectives and history in Canada, uh, as well as you know, where we're going with this. Again, this is something that I, I don't know much about, so I was very fortunate to have Lauren uh, share her knowledge with me. And uh, that's definitely one thing that she's identified, that to make this better, we have to be willing to have these conversations. So I hope you enjoy this podcast, and thank you for listening. My dog might hop in the screen at some point. Awesome. Like- Glad to hear that. <laughs> I, love, I love dogs. Where's my dog? Probably upstairs. Well, we have uh, Lauren Peterson on. Um, thank you for joining me. This is the first podcast from the comfort of my chair. I, it's just you on the screen right now, so I, I don't see myself. Oh, yeah. Uh, How do you... Speaking. You have to change your setting. Oh, okay, I got it. It's just me. I feel like an old person. I'm just like staring right into the screen. <laughs> so, so Lauren, uh, you're a Master's of Education and Leadership student, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. So what, what's your... Uh, cheers, by the way. What's, what's your focus? Uh, I am looking at developing programs to address systemic barriers Indigenous people face in uh, post-secondary and trades education. Okay, so and what are some of these systemic barriers? Well, when you come from families where you are living in remote reservations, mm-hmm. you might not necessarily have access to fancy laptops or uh, nice clothes or different things coming into these communities. There's a lot of uh, culture shock, being away from your family for the first time. If you live in a remote reserve or smaller settlement in northern Alberta, for example, uh, everyone around you goes from being like a cousin or an auntie or someone you know or your family's known forever to complete strangers. And with all these different groups, you have different norms and values, and that can be really hard for people to move away from those. Uh, also, access, you don't really have like a lot of jobs up there, so saving money like you would if you were. Um, like an urban kid living in a major city, you could work your summers or after school jobs and save up and pay, whereas a lot of indigenous communities don't have that. Uh, We also don't all look the same. So a lot of us, for example, like for me, I found when I was in school, I was the safe kid. I was the safe native kid. So I still still ticked the box that there was an indigenous person in the program, but no one knew who they were because I'm not visibly native as Mm. per what you would expect. So people would say the most obscene things about Indigenous culture, deny the existence of residential schools, or say we deserved it or we're all a bunch of drunks. And these like discussions would go on in the classroom around me and teachers would rarely do anything to curtail it because it's not their job to to gatekeep thought. Hmm. But in not doing that and allowing people to express themselves freely, they were perpetuating systemic racism. Right. So... And that's something that, uh, like, racism 
what what exactly is racism? Like, how would you define it? Uh, discrimination based on your race, but it also has a component of power to it. So, if you are in a position where you are a minority in society, you can ex- you can experience discrimination based on your appearance, based on your ethnicity, but it doesn't necessarily mean that someone is coming from a position of advantage, right? Right. There's different hierarchies involved in different intersections. It gets pretty, pretty complicated. Like I would say I get a lot of lateral violence uh, from peers and people uh, that when I speak, I have to sometimes remind myself that I'm taking up a space of a more visible indigenous person. (laughs) You're taking up a space. Okay. Like, do you mean in like a program? Not, not like a program, not a physical space, but uh, if I were to go into a community setting and start speaking out as an indigenous person, I can't necessarily speak to physical racism because of the way that I look. So because my father was European, I do have more privilege and more advantage than another person. So I often find like, because people don't really understand the diaspora that is the Métis Nation or where we come from or what our culture is, a lot of people, especially indigenous people on the West Coast, because they just don't know who we are or what we do, and our president behaves abhorrently in public, apparently. We'll get to that later. <laughs> so people, like, assume that we're, we're white, too. And so when I speak, people are like, eh, like, who are you to say this? And sometimes I do need that gentle reminder that maybe there is another voice that needs to be heard in that moment, which is, like, a gross, it's a humbling gross thing. Right. These aren't my homeland. But, you know, discrimination comes in different, different forms for everybody. Um, when we talk about white privilege and different levels of privilege, a lot of people struggle with that because they don't see themselves as privileged because a lot of people, especially in the area we're from, come from very disadvantaged backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different cultures that struggle all the same. And I think as kids, we're, we're kind of taught to see differences, a divisive language that uh, people haven't necessarily been thoughtful of during our upbringing, which is why we don't have the answers and don't understand why things are the way they are now. We're figuring it out. Right. Great. But basically white privilege just means like you don't it's you're not necessarily the top of the hill but the color of your skin is not something that caused you not to get there yeah that's Um, it i have white privilege and i've come to understand that too which was a very like oh do better lauren (laughs) (laughs) well so i've heard racism and prejudice, they're not the same. They're not equal, right? Prejudice is anybody can be prejudiced against uh, anybody who is visibly different. However, yeah. like you mentioned, racism is prejudice plus power. Yeah. Right? So in a dominant society, and this is why this is such a good conversation because, you know, uh, on Facebook, you hear some things from white people <laughs> and you're like, whoa, like they... <laughs> they have a misunderstanding of what white privilege is. White privilege is not the same as you should be ashamed of being white. And it almost seems like that's how they, that's what they're hearing (laughs) because I was born a white person. I should feel bad about that, but that's not what white privilege is. Rocket. It's being, being from different European cultures is amazing. Everybody should be proud of where they come from and what they have to bring to the communities that they live in or the families that they become a part of or the groups that they're in. There's nothing wrong with being white. 
is everything wrong with perpetuating system or systems that oppress others though? Right. So, and, and I guess, you know, that's a million dollar question is what, what do we do? Because these conversations about race, you know, particularly in terms of like right now, black lives matter is huge. Right. And you know, it's changes need to happen. However, you know, we've talked about like there is systemic racism for other groups too. And the big one for Canada historically has been first nations people. Can you speak to the prejudices and the systemic racism that first nations people Inuit and Métis have experienced? Yep. Sure can. Uh, I come from a very long line of strong Métis women, but my grandmother lied about who she was in public. She wasn't an Indian. Right. She told my mom, you're not an Indian. Because there is a fear there, I think, of like being judged for what other people think an Indian should be. And in that time, it was something not good. Mm-hmm. Whereas like today, we're growing up, we grow up in this world where we get to experience different cultures and celebrate them. But there's still those like lingering myths of like, there's Schooling is free. Don't pay taxes. You get all these benefits. You get a free house on the res. Not every single Indigenous person lives on the res, and those houses aren't free. They mm. still pay rent there. Uh, they pay rent to the band office, so you like pay rent to the car. Like it's, it's wild these systems, and like we're governed by the Indian Act. Like Indigenous is it people still is it still called the Indian Act? Oh, it sure is, my friend. Wow, because and that. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's uh, not Canada's a little bit behind in the, in that regard. <laughs> well, so when it comes to because uh, the unfortunate truth about colonialism is that <laughs> oftentimes these lands are being taken from whoever was living there originally. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So what nation in the world? has a good model for how they've treated their indigenous peoples. I think New Zealand is doing pretty good. With the, uh, with Maori. Is that how you say it? Yeah. Maori. I think it's Maori. I am a hundred (laughs) percent certain that is what it is. Yeah. The all blacks. I could be wrong too though. I, I pronounce everything wrong and I try. The intent is there. (laughs) So, uh, now, New Zealand has done it. Do, do you know much about what their reforms are with the Ma- Maori? I think um, they kind of, they, like, there's been a lot of truth and reconciliation commissions across the world. Uh, one thing that they've done there is make the language accessible. There's a lot of signage everywhere. Mm-hmm. They have a very physical presence. And people are respected and celebrated, like even with uh, the, what are they, all black. Yeah. Where they do their, their Hawkeye. Like it's, it's people know what it's it is. It's part of their identity. It's part of who they are. And it's, right. it's beautiful. And they've been allowed to practice their culture and reclaim their language and all these things. And I think uh, Canada is being celebrated abroad for how good we are doing. But we're still waiting. Like it's been a year since like the, we did um, the big murdered and missing indigenous women mm. and girls. The highway of tears. <laughs> Yeah, and they still haven't released the report. They're like, oh, because of COVID, we'll do it next year. It's like, 
there are people. I fucking, I fucking hate that excuse because of COVID. I couldn't go hiking today at uh, Quarry Rock because of COVID. (laughs) I'm I'm not sure I follow, but sorry. Anyways, going back to what you're saying, there's, there's much room for improvement. There is. Yeah. There's a lot of work to be done. And I think, you know, I think that people do do the best they can with what Mm -hmm. they have. But I think the thing that's missing is indigenous engagement, authentic indigenous engagement. So not just inviting people to share their stories and then doing nothing with it, because that doesn't build trust. That's not a conversation or a dialogue. It's not ongoing. And then when they have to sit and wait, it's like, that's not really how things work in our culture. Everything is in a circle, right? Like we support each other at all ages and we're continuously growing and learning. So it's okay to make mistakes, but in like the modern context of things, mistakes are an end all be all. So people don't want to admit mistakes. People are reluctant to learn because they feel like they're going to be shut down or they're going to be called a racist or something bad is going to happen. But it's just like, oh, you know what? We could also just adopt some level of humility, uh, respect, and not like accept that we don't always have to be the loudest person in the room Mm -hmm. to have an impact. Like your silence can be an answer too. I get people, I think people like rush to, to say something. And I, I think they're starting to, they call it uh, virtue signaling because people feel like they have to visibly be a part of a change or something big. Your actions can speak just as loud as your words in that regard. So, you know, me being a, a white male, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, public enemy number one currently, uh, <laughs> Like, what is it, what is it that I can do to help this? Because I feel like there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, I, I, I have to say, I have to follow what everybody else says for fear of being labeled like that I'm a Trump supporter or that I'm a racist, right? There's just a lot of defensiveness, right? Mm -hmm. So what is it that, that, you know, that uh, people like myself, what can we be doing to change what's going on? Well, I count myself in the same category as you. Like I'm half white. (laughs) Right. I still got enough. I got lots lots of stuff to learn too. Uh, What I find that helps is I always make my intentions very clear from the onset. Mm -hmm. And I ask a lot of open questions. I ask for consent in entering these conversations with people because it can be quite difficult if it's your lived reality. Um, Make sure people are comfortable and they're feeling heard. And if they're not, then it, it ends there because, you know, consent isn't just like once and I'll be all for all Indigenous people. It's, this is some, asking someone to be vulnerable. And so when I find that when I go into these conversations, like especially some of my friends that are uh, from different colored ethnicities, when I ask about their experiences, I always say like, is this okay? Like, are you ready to talk about this? Are you comfortable? What can I do to make you more comfortable? And I always say like, my style is to listen. My mine is to listen. If I need clarification on something, I will like check in and I will continue to check in with my friends during hard times. Like you don't necessarily have to change your profile picture to a black square to be present. You mm. can check in on a personal level with your friends or remind them that you see them and you hear them and you value them. The people that I continue, like I maintain connections with outside my community within my friendship, my friendship circles, like I really value those people and that's why they're there. I like to check in with them when necessary to remind them of that. It doesn't necessarily have to be a meme. It can just be like, Hey man, check in, making sure you're good. 
and inviting them to share their stories, even like one-on-one, because I wasn't necessarily always comfortable talking about my family or comfortable asking my family questions about our history. It's only been pieced together in the past like 15, 20 years, really for us. So 22 years, actually. Yeah, because that's when the Métis Nation of BC was founded. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because, okay, and uh, now not everybody might know this, but in Canada, there's there's kind of three groups that fall under Indigenous peoples, correct? Yeah. And that's Inuit, uh, First Nations, and Métis. Are you able to explain those three different groups? Yeah. So the Inuit people live in the north, and they have a very distinct culture uh, and way of life. They live primarily off the land, uh, different diets, different languages, very similar to some people that live in Siberia and some people that actually live in Greenland, which is really cool. Um, so there's Inuit people in Greenland well they're not they don't call themselves Inuit they're Greenlanders they have their own name and their own language but they can understand each other which is really cool and they're also undergoing their own truth and reconciliation they had their own version of residential schools as well over there I really encourage people to look into it to see like the different see I didn't know that yeah I had a a beautiful student uh, that I taught last year from Greenland who taught me a lot about their culture and we, we shared a lot and it was mind-blowing because I always thought like, oh, my Danish side wasn't bad. Like, we didn't colonize anybody like that. Like, yeah, still happening, man. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, I have so much to learn. Wait, the residential schools still exist in they're Greenland? Not, they're not really happening, but a lot of kids do have to leave for school. Like, they don't get right. school in their From their families, they have to leave. Family, they have to leave. And they have, they have to go to school. They go, yeah. And if they want to go, like, but the, like also the, the Danish government will pay for their university and stuff. Like they're starting to re make, like re- try and build and remedy that relationship. But that distrust is still there. There's a lot of trauma. I digress back to the other thing. Right. You asked me. <laughs> so the first nations are the first peoples of Canada uh, in the area that you are living that I used to live in the Kwantlen, Katsi, Matsui and Simiamu people had been there for what we know physically because of archaeological evidence that we can carbon date back 14,000 years Mm, so crazy crazy long time and they have uh, ancestral spiritual uh, beyond written history connections and relationships with those lands the civilization exactly it was and even like a lot of people will say well it wasn't a civilization because they didn't have a written language well they used visual art to communicate stories and language so yes they did because that's what it is like what's the difference between an alphabet letter and mm-hmm. a symbol like it, it is a language in itself like the the images of the the animals and things and i they just had a completely beautiful way of life and i mean every nation was different across canada uh you have from the micmac all the way to the coast salish like just different languages different traditions different practices kind of like europe european countries and nation states all very different as different as we are from americans like a lot of shared similarities but it's it's crazy. Well, um, I mean, for example, the Blackfoot uh, nation, it's not like their nation ended on the 49th parallel. No. It was shared between the United States and Canada. And if you were Blackfoot and you're cr- traveling across the border, they'd ask you, you know, what's what nation are you from? They'd say Blackfoot. And yeah. the border guards were like, what the like, All they have to do is say that they want to uh, invoke their J Treaty rights and they will be able to go across the border. 
mm. because they have treaty rights like all indigenous people in Canada have that which is cool mm. like you, you don't you're not supposed to be charged duty and there's other it's more complicated than that of course but, yeah like, we have rights <laughs> yeah like, yeah no, you're right yeah but um yeah no, so the first peoples were here first and they are one half of my lineage so uh the metis nation started uh through the fur trade and that's what we're taught in school that it's a the original mix between european and first nations which is true but we are an ethnogenesis we are specific to a time and a place uh starting in the late 1700s in the red river valley so that trade center grew up we had our own languages we had several families that spread out as the fur trade spread out and as like the different areas started to populate so it started there kind of moved a little bit like because we had a lot of french and and people like family scottish yeah from, yeah coming from different areas and i've heard even some dutch and ukrainians from different people's family trees like it's really cool so we're we're just very distinct mix um we speak different varying levels of like Ojibwe or Cree or even in some areas like in Alberta like mixed with some Blackfoot with uh, Scots from the original Scottish settlers Scots and English and French uh, the language that they would have spoke in the area that I was from the Red River Settlement <coughs> excuse me was a mix of French early French from France not Quebecois French and uh, Cree so all our verbs are French and all our nouns and uh, pronouns and a lot of our patterns follow the Cree language. Wow. Pretty cool. So <laughs> like, yeah. So I've actually picked up quite a bit of it, which is really fun because I did French immersion. And right. like oh. my, my grandmother was supposedly French speaking, but then like various aunties and relatives and things will say like, oh no, she didn't speak French. I'm like, pretty sure she spoke French. And that's what she told me. No, guess not. <laughs> different like various levels of that it's pretty funny um but yeah no we came from a very specific time and place we were that mixed and we survived and you, can you speak Métis? Uh, oh, oh thank it you sounds, yeah. it sounds a lot like like French I'm not going to do it on here but I can tell no, you that no. yeah uh Tanzakia means hey how are you Tanzakia Tanzakia I'm not going to forget that what's Tanzakia. up Tanzakia. <laughs> I like to say Tanzakia girl hey because I like to <laughs> Explain my own stuff, but yeah, no, we were we were known as that. I'm wearing some beautiful beaded earrings for my friend Rowan uh, in the Langley School District. She made them for me, and mailed them to me, and I got them today. I was really excited. But we were known as the flower beaver people because we would trade, right? So we mm -hmm. had the hookups with our European families mm -hmm. and our First Nations families. So we would do all the the beadwork and all these resources. But people wanted from real Indians for a while, so we would sell our beadwork to the First Nations people, who would then sell it back to the European people. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that kind of yeah. ties into my next question, because we talked about that book, uh, The Inconvenient Indian, mm -hmm. right? Um, and there's this uh, preconceived idea of what uh, an Indian, which is the incorrect term, of course, mm -hmm. is or looks like. So... I talked to a friend of mine who is from uh, South Africa and he mentioned that now phenomenology is when you look at like an isolated thing and you, you extrapolate things that might expand across cultures mm -hmm. and, you know, different perspectives. So I'm wondering if because Métis are classified as half indigenous, half European, if they ever experience prejudice 
based on that? All the time. Yeah. A lot of people will deny who we are as a people. Right. Like they'll say we're not really indigenous. We're too, we're too watered down because they perpetuate the blood quantum thing without uh, remembering that like we still practice our culture. So like you can identify as Canadian if your parent is from Europe. It's, it's, it's a nation. It's a, it's a group of people. Right. So it's, I don't know, it's, it's kind of hard sometimes. Like in, especially because a lot of people in First Nations community get a lot of outright racism. So there's a lot of, um, I don't really, I'm hesitant to use the word gatekeeping, but kind of like that, like people are very protective of their identity as Indigenous, they find on the West Coast. And they, these aren't my homeland. So like, that's their, that's their right to, I guess, if they don't want to be inclusive to strangers but and, like and, and by that place, comes from a place of fear right right because right. they've been treated so badly so like trust is a little harder to earn out here right because mm-hmm. so correct me if i'm wrong because you don't look the part say yeah. they're like who are you you look yeah. like a like a white person correct yeah yeah okay. i think i was very spoiled growing up because i grew up in like langley aldergrove area and i mm-hmm. had the langley school district and I had these amazing Aboriginal sport workers watching out for me. I had my community and on my street growing up, my friend Amanda was Métis, my next door neighbor Brittany was Métis, my friend Nikki was Ojibwe, and the Alders uh, that lived Kitty Corner, they're the nieces of Terry Fox, they were Métis too because he was also Métis. Terry Fox is Métis. Yeah, he was Métis and he's ours. That's, all. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> so you, you actually bring up a good point because – Racism is not something that we're comfortable talking about. No. Right? But it's, it's alive and well, <laughs> right? You know, there's always going to be uh, ignorant people, and there's always going to be people that are afraid to say things. And if they are labeled something like, say, a racist when they're not, then they can almost go into that camp of radicalism. Mm-hmm. Correct? Yep. So, what is the antidote to that? What like, cause multiculturalism to me, it's kind of like, Oh, let's all share food. And you know, it's like, there's something more to it and it's anti-racism education. Right. And it's yeah. real, it's raw and it's not pretty. So it's how do not you, pretty. how do you do that? Like what's the move forward? Personally, in my practice, I like to cultivate caring. Mm. So I like to acknowledge that everybody comes from someplace everybody has uh, things that make them unique uh, something to be proud of a culture that they practice in their life even if that's just like crafting or hockey and maple syrup and beer like that's still like people connect to it so I try to bring things down to a really base level and ask a lot of open questions about other people's experiences and say like but what if that was taken away what if that was taken away and you like I really like the blanket exercise. Like I facilitate the blanket exercise with Kairos um, as well as Skelep Reconciliation. And a lot of, I've done it all over BC now. And I find you, a lot of people- Can you explain what that, can you explain what the blanket exercise is? So it's like a teaching tool. It's a decolonization teaching tool where the blankets are uh, North America. And yeah. then the blankets start to get smaller and smaller and smaller and things start to happen and people are taking off the blankets for certain reasons. It works really good in large groups. Uh, they did it at the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in 2015 in Ottawa. And a lot of people, until they're physically able, like not able to experience or go through the motions, even if it's stimulated, have a really hard time conceptualizing. And I find it 
really opens it up for people because then they're able to actually see themselves in someone else's shoes. Yeah. And that's just, that's just humanity. Like it's just, sometimes it's just things are so, so awful or confusing or conflicted that we have a hard time confronting those things within ourselves unless we can see ourselves in it. Yes. So it's building empathy, building human connections and having honest, authentic conversations. And I like, what I like to tell people, especially my colleagues or with the students that I work with, (coughs) it's okay not to have anything to say. Listen. It's okay not to know the answer to everything. And it's okay to make mistakes as long as you own up to them and try to do better. Because everybody's on a different, like a different place in their life and different pathway. And, you know, we're all learning as we go. But if we, one thing I, I caution a lot of my like indigenous friends, you know, I'm guilty of it. I get angry sometimes and I lash out or I say things, but I always try to make a habit of cycling back and saying, sorry, maybe not just, maybe you're not the problem necessarily. It's the system I'm mad at. But Mm. this is why what you said made me react this way. Can we talk about this? And that's been my new thing going forward the past few years, opening up a dialogue with people to say like, when things like this happen, it hurts me. And this is why. And using very clear language and owning my reaction. Mm. And then inviting other people to be accountable too. And I find that they're more willing when they have that like level playing field and it's not like you're racist because or I don't like you because, or I'm going to get you fired because we like, no, let's talk about this and let's build this up. Because what happens when, in, when it comes to discussing racism or discrimination or uh, classism or anything like that, you have people's intentions and you have their impacts and sometimes they match and sometimes they don't, but the space in between that's for dialogue. That's how we fix it. Right. And that comes from kindness. You think it's fucking simple, but some people still struggle with it. What? Why do people struggle with it? Like, what? You know, like there's this ego, right? Like nobody wants to 100%. be asshole. And it's, it's, nobody you know wants what? to be I've, wrong. I have said things, things have come out of my mouth that I didn't yeah. realize necessarily were, were racist or rude or unkind or could be perceived as like a threat. Even within indigenous circles, it's my friends. And I've been checked and I've had to sit there and be like, ah. Uh, and sit with that shame, but I'm starting to make friends with that discomfort because that's how you learn and that's how you grow. And I see it as a challenge and a way to improve myself and make myself someone that can be trusted more. Because if somebody's going to be vulnerable enough to tell me, hey, you hurt me, I want to respond in kind in a way that is acknowledging and honoring that because that's scary. Like if you think being called a racist is scary, speaking up against people that hurt you is 10 times worse. And, and, and by, by speaking up, you mean when somebody makes a comment that would yeah. be perceived as, you know, yeah. prejudiced, racist in nature. Yeah. I called, I called out my faculty for that last week and I was so scared they were going to kick me out. Right. So, <laughs> and, and, and here's the other thing, right? Like there's so much, on you know social media social media i think is probably one of the you know the worst places to prove a point in the modern world what do you what are your thoughts on that i think social media can be really great for connecting people and spreading information but i think people really need to (coughs) 
practice thinking critically and really thinking about what they're saying. And again, it was with that intention and like predicting maybe what your impact can be. Uh, I've been bad at that. I like to be a keyboard warrior sometimes when I'm bored or anxious about other things. It's an easy way to do it, but it's not always the most effective tool. Sometimes yeah. taking things offline and having a conversation on the phone or texting people or just, you know, I like to use that awesome like mute button where like you just freeze somebody for 30 days. So election time, that is my best one. <laughs> I was just like, you know what? I would love to have like constructive conversations with people. Yeah. But if somebody is just going to like quote Ben Shapiro at me and. Who's Ben Shapiro again? He's like a really right-wing uh, oh, podcast fuck. dude in the States. Very privileged and very like intentionally intentional about his language. Like he's a smart, smart human. Yeah. But he's got some really vile opinions about people, especially people of like lower class or from other countries. And it's just toxic, toxic shit. And like I would, yeah, I've had a lot of friends like share things and I like to when they do, I take time when I'm ready to, and I will always listen and I will always read them because you learn something from everybody and nobody's wrong 100% of the time. So even assholes like that, who I really don't like, mm. I still have things I can learn and consider from that. But when people are cramming stuff down your throat or like, say you post something on the CBC, like they had to, they often have to disable comments on indigenous CBC on their website and on their uh Facebook or social media because people are so bad. I've had people like figure out who my brother is, like, because I've commented on something they didn't like and they've gone to my page and then, like, oh, we know this about your life or I'm going to contact your employer. And I've been like, oh my God. <laughs> and it's like, but, okay, so, but why were they, weird. why were they threatening you? Why were they threatening you? Didn't agree with me about something around election time when like Andrew Shearer was running for prime minister, and I was well, like, "Dude, that guy, that guy <laughs> is." He looks <sighs> like we're not so. Wax, he looks like a melted wax figure, like a really poorly done wax figure of Stephen Harper. Like somebody whittled him down a bit. Well, like, but but here's here's the problem with Andrew Shearer is that he's tapping into something that is hugely problematic, and that is not he's not rational. He's more like he's tapping into the emotional part of your brain, which is the yeah. reactive part, which yeah. is what this whole, what our society is fucking feeding off of. Now you go on. That's the problem with Facebook is that everything is just an emotional reaction. Nobody's really thinking. And I've been guilty of it. And that's why I'm like, okay, I need to limit my grandmother, Susan, and the shit that she posts on her feed. Cause I'm going to have an aneurysm. Right. So, do you see that there's a growth <laughs> in radicalism in Canada? Yeah, I think honestly, I don't know. I think people are getting bolder because mm. those those feelings were probably there. Yeah, but but, and, but and now here's... people feel like they have a vehicle for it or have a community and. I think that especially with COVID, I'm not surprised that a lot of people are getting more down the rabbit hole because I think a lot of like people who are extremely radical 
are suffering from yeah. a lot of don't smoke pot things. and go on Twitter at 2 a.m. Fuck, keep your head a shake, right? Yeah, like these people are hurting and they want to make a connection and they're, they're, they're frustrated. Yeah, and yeah. it's that's how they are doing it. I just wish everybody had how access is- to cognitive behavioral therapy mm-hmm. tools or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, ah. Well, but here, and here's the other problem, and I sort of touched on this, and I do apologize for uh, using this verb, but tribalism, right? And when I use that, I'm talking, you know, the cave people, yeah. and, you know, there was this camp and there's that camp. And the left is not so much better than the right in terms of their approach to things, right? Yeah. I mean, because here you have people that are so PC that they're sanitizing everything. They're closing down conversations. So people yeah. who might have kind of moderate thoughts uh, and question something, like a friend of mine, he'll, he'll question something on CNN and his parent will be like, oh, you're a Trump supporter. And it's like, well, fuck, you just closed that conversation down, right? <laughs> Both sides are, are wrong here. So how do we get to being more rational and more moderate and having conversations? Because that, like you said, dialogue is a way to fix this. I think more people that are able to should start modeling that behavior. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it, it's something you have to learn through your experience. You can't shove it down somebody's throat. You can say to somebody who's reacting like that, be like, I'm sure... Some of what you're saying is correct in some context, but right now this is not appropriate and, and I'm going to walk away. I think that in some cases it's necessary to disengage. And you can just say, it's not that I don't respect you as a person. I just, I don't agree with what you're having to say. And I don't feel like this is an appropriate context. Cause I think that some of those conversations are so delicate. They deserve, they deserve respect. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's not do this you, over a keyboard. And when you're, when you're right. mad, you can't really, dignify those those topics or those people's lived stories or experiences and a lot of people like honestly like they can hypothesize you can say like i have a greek and roman studies degree i can't speak to the lived experience of a person living in italy today i'm not even right. gonna try to you want to ask me about some old pot i fucking got you man hey, and I well, people need to learn their place and then yeah start asking more questions and wanting to learn rather than just reading like some shitty meme and suddenly knowing yeah. i understand yeah yeah like did you read that book american dirt or have you heard of it i've heard of it i have it i haven't read it yet okay so you've heard that it's got a bunch of flack right yeah okay it's it, do you know why no okay it's because the woman is a white chick she's not an uh, uh you know a mexican uh immigrant and it's about Mexican immigrants and them, their struggle to get here. Now, you know, this is what I understand of it. And people are like, you know, why is your book famous? And, you know, it almost sounds kind of like white shaming. Do you, do you agree with that stance or what, what's your take on that? And, and I mean Uh, that you can extend this. I think it's, it's a work of fiction, right? Like people have had other races and characters and stories all the time it depends yeah, well, on how, uh, much, how much actual consultation she did in her writing process and what she's willing to give back to the community she wrote about like right. is this going to be used as like a tool like a teaching tool or is this yeah. just a fictional book right. it just depends on the context like what was her intention in writing it yeah 
are you accurately representing are you trying to raise awareness <laughs> like think about johnny depp and he played tonto or whatever right and it's like uh yeah that was a poor right? yeah. well it's i mean it, <laughs> i i didn't laugh at it i thought it was stupid i was like Ooh, i never saw it made. yeah the original wasn't good to begin with so like what? yeah but i don't know and that's an that's another interesting thing is, you know, can we judge people for who they, you know, during a, a period of time where that was the norm? Like, can we judge people today for how they acted 25 years ago? I think we could judge them on their growth patterns and the process. Look at their response. What a, what a fantastic answer. Going <laughs> like, I, you know, I think that, like, if people are aware of things that they've done in the past, but have made little effort to remedy or change those patterns, then we can judge them. You can still have a conversation, but like, it's all in how you own it. Yeah. It's in how you treat those people. Like, for example, there was a, a principal in the Langley school district who wore blackface mm. and he issued an apology, but I worked with people in that school. I worked with other Aboriginal sport workers that felt ignored for years by him, that he was the only principal in the district that didn't have an honoring ceremony for the truth and reconciliation plaque that every other school in the district did, because those are the local protocols where you honor a gift or an acknowledgement or a step forward. And then you like have witnesses, right? Like that is their protocols. And yeah. that was the point was to have yeah. this immersive experience for all the kids in the district to make their connection as a part of these school communities that they're, they really identify with as part of something bigger. And it was beautiful and every other school did it. And it was a lot of work, I'm not gonna lie. There was some resistance from teachers. I faced a lot of flack when I was doing mine in different schools. And, and, but, and, and just to clarify, sorry, because when you worked for the Langley School District, what, what exactly was your job role there? I was, a, I was an Aboriginal sport worker. Right, so yeah. that's why you got in. Okay, now question for you, what, what made you, want to make this your life work like at what point were you like this is very important to me I love education mm -hmm. and I feel really grateful to have been given all the opportunities that I had uh, when I was growing up I really connected I had uh, three aboriginal support workers in my life initially there was just one who went around the district her name was Donna Robbins she started the program she was my boss retired this year amazing woman then I had Drew Atkins, who is just an incredible man, married into the Kotlin First Nation. He's a carver, very active in the community, and he really nurtured my brother and I and our identity from a young age. And then I had Rowan, who made me these earrings, who's still my friend today. And I just have had these incredible Indigenous people, and my mom too, in my life that have said, like, you can do anything you want to. And I don't think if I had those people, I would have pushed because failure wasn't an option. Mm. So when I went abroad, I taught. Like I did my bachelor's in history and then was involved with the Lenongap program at UVic. So I was a community intern and a uh, research assistant working on various indigenous projects and did like a giant indigenous history seminar that was like a year long and it was really hard. And we talked about colonialism and racism and lateral violence, all these things. And it really connected me with other indigenous people my age which I didn't necessarily always have before we all kind of had the same lived experience being like white passing or whatever so really learned what it was to be Métis 
started to get really active with the Métis Nation, learned more with my family. My cousin Wendy and I spent a lot of time uh, a couple of years ago in the summer when I had to go visit, like learning about where our family actually came from and like where these connections are, what it means. And putting that together, looking at family photos, it was really cool. And I got to like bob around Fort Gary and kind of really actually look at like our family's values and see where they connect with our nation's values. Be like, oh, I guess I am more Indigenous than I thought I was. <laughs> Dude, you raised oh, such geez. a good point. So, uh, <laughs> so a friend of mine, he, he's black and growing up, he was like, you know, why am I different? You know, all this stuff. And, uh, he went to like his family background is, uh, one of the Caribbean islands, Barbados, right. Is one of the islands. Uh, and he, he tells me at the time that he went to Barbados and he experienced his culture and he was like, dude, this is so cool. And it's like, he understood himself. Now I wonder if, and I'll be honest with myself, maybe part of me is like, I wish I had that because when you're part of the, the dominant culture, right? The, the shadow of the country, you're like, who am I, right? Because you were glowing when you're describing your Métis identity and your heritage. And it's so like, that's who you are. But I wonder of myself and perhaps others, who are we? Like, are we just a bunch of wasps? You know, Go white Anglo- Selkirk. <laughs> yeah, well, apparently, <laughs> apparently you're saying that I might be Métis, so. Yeah, I, 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 I'll have to do a, a Ancestry.com. But do you think, though, seriously, that maybe that might be part of the, the angst is that a lot yeah. of people don't really know who they are? I think a lot of like the Canadian identity that was built up after the war. And like I, like I said, I have a history degree and I did my postgrad mm. cultural resource management. So really looking at how people identify and what culture is and how it right. manifests. A lot of Canadian culture is very corporate. What do you mean by? We have our NHL franchises. We have our beer. And like now we have this new push for like craft everything and all these individual values coming out. Mm. And there's a lot of flack coming from people that like their whole lives were like, no, I love my Molson Canadian. I'm just going to say this right now Tim Hortons is shit. My best friend Carly and I went to go get bagels from Tim Hortons a couple years ago. She asked for an everything bagel toasted with butter. We got a raw bagel with lettuce. Yeah, yeah. How what? do you fuck that up? It was a piece of lettuce. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't understand. I won't go there. But, but yeah, and, or, or the Bay, the Hudson Bay Company yeah. is owned, is this true, by, by Americans? I think it was sold. Yeah, it might. Uh, look, we're looking into, like, Métis people are pretty, like, Hudson's Bay Company because that's our like that's our family history too. Yeah. So I I have probably um, a strange attachment to it. Their blankets were like our our capotes and everything, so we're like synonymous. With the colors. With yeah, the with the colors red, and the the blankets, the and... uh, the five point blankets. Uh, so a lot of indigenous groups don't like the Hudson's Bay because they're like smallpox yes. blankets, and then yeah. they people are like. But they're uh, but this is all we had. <laughs> mm, mm-hmm. We're not wearing smallpox blankets. We're just wearing them because this is everything our family owns. <laughs> it, it gets really funny. Like you get right. to like learn about different cultures and different experiences. With those, but. I think one of the best things that I ever learned 
is because, you know, growing up and this isn't so long ago, uh, first nations people, it was, uh, just, you know, potlash and, and, uh, smoke houses, long houses, right. It wasn't here, really like here in BC. Yeah. There yeah. Was other, yeah like, here in BC. Pow- yeah. Powwows were on like on the prairies and in the plains. Right. And like sweat lodges and everything you think you know about indigenous people. Yeah. With like dream catchers and all those things. Yeah. They're not a lot of them aren't actually from here. Yeah. Well they're well I, not Indian, right? Yeah. Well, we were talking earlier, like uh I was reading my daughter this book and uh it it had this picture of uh Indians, right? And it was like a critters book. I forget, like you know those weird critters? Yes, they do. Yeah, and they go and they go to a museum and it shows like Indians, right? And it's like the critter, but it's in the it's like a, it got a headdress and like a spear and stuff. And it's like, okay, well, I know that that's not an accurate presentation, but you know, where do we like? It's almost like once you start learning about something, you're just like, I don't know shit. <laughs> Right. It's just so vast and it's nebulous, right? Culture and, and race, it's it's nebulous. Yeah. It's we can't we can't wild. meet one person and think, oh well that's that's what they're all like, right? Like I'm Scottish. So you know, you can't just meet one Scottish person and be like, oh, I guess they're all fucking cheap then. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so and, and and that's what a lot of our stereotypes are based on, I think. Mm-hmm. And they become the but, systems you know, in power. If you meet every indigenous person, I can tell you, all the youth today that are on TikTok, they are deadly. You tell them they're deadly. I don't know. I don't, I, I don't TikTok. I'm an old man already. The <laughs> moment you have a child, your life, it's like, now I know why dads wear court classic white shoes. Because their kid's covered in shit. And you're just like, I have no time to look at myself in the mirror. You start wearing Crocs. I will never wear Crocs because that okay. means that I would have to buy them, <laughs> right? And I'll never. That, yeah, I, I what if I mail you? Them. What if I mail you some Crocs? Uh, then I'll probably end up using them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my last kind of question for you, just because I'm I'm being conscious of time for once, is uh, what exactly is truth and reconciliation? So it's investigating the truth so looking at the whole history of Canada Mm -hmm. and the ongoing consequences and acknowledging that there are problems and reconciliation is the solution so it's directing us forward together and it's us screaming into the void that there are problems isn't going to change any of our problems at the end of the day if we're going to share this space we have to work together right and 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 what are the solutions uh oh Man, have you have you looked at like the calls to action? So I know the truth and reconciliation, and this yeah. is where it gets a little foggy for me. But Stephen Harper issued the apology, which yeah. many labeled was quite cold. You know, uh, I I'm but, uh, a Harper fan, but it meant a lot to me. Yeah, I mean, it was like you know, it was 15 minutes long, and I was I was vibing with it, but I'm not I'm not one to, you know measure that obviously yeah <laughs> so the apology was separate from the truth and reconciliation act is that correct yeah i believe so uh there's 94 calls to action so they look at different 
uh, industries or aspects of Canadian mm -hmm. culture and highlight things that need to change. Okay, so what's like the top? I, I, <laughs> hate, I hate to narrow things down. I don't, I don't know if there really is a, a mm -hmm. top one. Like there's, there's oh, no that's one. a good point. And okay. Yeah, like how do you... It's not like we want them. No. Gotcha. They're, they're of I equal think, importance. Yeah, I think that they okay. are, they're all very important. Uh, so the topics, I can read them to you. I sure. Google. So there's child welfare, mm -hmm. impacts everybody, yeah. Every, everybody. Yeah. Uh, education, language and culture, health, justice, Canadian governments, the United, United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Independence, we, we finally adopted this. Canada was the last country to hold out on it, which is disgusting. Wait, uh, what? what? You didn't know that, UNDRIP? No. Canada would, would not ratify the UN Declaration on the rights of indigenous peoples and like every other commonwealth country like former commonwealth countries did what was what's the argument why i don't know <laughs> okay what but, year yeah, did they sign that then uh i'm honestly in the 90s it was in the oh, 90s okay so it took it took a while it took almost a decade um so oh got a little bump there on my screen there are there are ninety four. So there's different different ways in which Canadians can get invested and yeah. notice these changes. And then if you're not somebody that's actively walking in two worlds, some of these things are pretty difficult. You wouldn't think that they would matter. Like I know a lot of people in BC didn't know that we had birth alerts until last year. So like people calling social workers or healthcare workers, notifying MCFD that an Indigenous woman is having a baby because they might want to take that baby away. A lot of people don't know about this shit. So like wow. there are things like that, calling to end those across mm -hmm. the country. And it's like a no-brainer. Like Manitoba and BC both ended them in the last 12 months, supposedly. Well, apparently Saskatchewan is soon to have the highest, like uh, the majority of the population is soon to be indigenous. Is that correct? Sweets. <laughs> Pardon me? It said sweets. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Fucking I mean... Sick. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, but you know, fact check that. I don't, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know about that, but yeah. I know like there are a lot of Métis people there and there's a lot of Cree people there. So, yeah. So, I mean, and, and that's why you, we got to figure this out, right? Because yep. the, uh, we the are powers the fastest that, growing demographic. Yeah. Youth. Right. And the, and, and us wasps, I, I joke, but you know, <laughs> the, 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 the powerful majority or, you know, whatever the structure, let's use the structure. That's probably a better term. It's soon to be outnumbered by the people who constructed it. Yeah. Right. What well, was only built to serve the needs of a few. That's why change has been so difficult <laughs> and expensive. Yeah. That is one of the problems of a, of a democracy is it's ruled by the majority. Right. And whoever the majority is, is, you know, that's where you get this structural systemic stuff. Yeah. Right. Well, like we have like the Métis people in BC, like uh, James Douglas, who was the first. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The head of the colonies. Yeah. He was a chief, Hudson's Bay chief or whatever. And yeah. his, his wife was Métis. His children were Métis. Yeah. Isabella Ross was the largest female uh, landowner in Western Canada at the time, one of the wealthiest people in Victoria. She was Métis. She came from the Red River. Like, even common, like, today, 
a Métis person in the legislature is Carol James, our finance minister. Like, we're, we're there. Like, people yeah. are Métis. They're out there. They're just not necessarily, or, and Indigenous, too. A lot of people, non-visible Métis people, or Indigenous people, are active in these roles in communities creating stages. They just don't necessarily, like, right. fly a banner. Yeah. yeah. So changes and, are happening, but sometimes we have to pretend like we're not. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's almost like um, kind of going back to the, the, the Twitter mob cancel culture uh, the loudest voices are the ones that are heard but they're not you know they're not they're not often not the most rational ones and they're not the uh the most accurate ones so how do you how do you combat the twitter mob this is kind of a separate question but how do you combat the twitter mob and cancel culture i'd be objective i clarify points i keep things simple and I try not to insult people. Mm, I, like I try. I try to use an interpersonal uh, or dialogue strategy. So I'll be like, "When you say this, this is what I'm hearing. Am I correct? And if it's not getting across, like, in an open dialogue, I'll reach out to those people directly because I find a lot of people are more willing to talk when there's no audience. Like, they're sometimes people think like they have to." Whoa! Get those likes or prove a point. I know the ego. <sighs> that can you say that one more time? Some people <laughs> have to. That was like they have, to, they have to have an audience, right? They feel like they have they have something to protect. Then maybe they're representing these other voices. But when you talk to them individually and like acknowledge where they're coming from, like hey, like I maybe I just have information that you don't. Would you hmm. be willing to talk with me or consider yeah. it? We're so worried about being right. You know, it's weird. That's such a frustration. It is. Well, but I also feel like we're very privileged because you and I have both had opportunities to go to like grad school. And oh, study. yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> like the average person on Twitter doesn't have that. Yeah, and so, and you know what? On that though, there's a bit of a, a a bias or prejudice from people who are educated. They're like, oh, they don't get it. They didn't go to university, and that's not fair either i don't, I don't know. know i'm the first person in my family to get a degree on my mom's side and my mom should have been a doctor yeah yeah i can't well, go i can't go toe-to-toe with my mom like she's way smarter than me with ev- everything yeah e- everything in this world and, and i think that that's common like there's book smarts and there's like um mm-hmm. intentional learning and then there's street smarts and they both have value and i don't think it's okay to put people down when they don't have access to education. I think everybody should have access to higher learning. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. School should be fun. People should love learning, but yeah. like our system sucks. So <laughs> Well, I, I'm just looking at the time and uh, I want to thank you for uh, for your input and helping to uh, you know reevaluate my understanding on things. So hopefully we could do this again. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you so much, uh, Lauren. And uh, we'll talk to you later. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you.